Howdy Meeps, welcome to the Meeple Syrup Show. show and tonight we have a very special guest with us we have shannon mcdowell on our very first what do we call these erica designer spotlights that's what we're calling them that's right so tonight will be our first designer spotlight with shannon mcdowell and we're going to get into those questions with her in a bit uh but first i think uh erica you missed our last show sadly which was our deep dive into and it wasn't istanbul. super deep, uh, but it was the, <laughs> the first dissection that we did of istanbul the dice game and so i think we have to do a little bit of that coming up for the next one is plan out what game we're gonna do so oh yeah we're making a poll people yeah, that's what I was getting to. We should probably put a poll up. So remind yeah. me, and one of us will put a poll up in the next little while. Uh, we have people already starting to come into the feed. So if you're down there <laughs> yeah, uh, talking on the feed, um, what question do we have to ask them to to get answers for us today? What do you think? Yeah, so don't forget to give us questions for Shannon, who we're going to introduce. And if you've got things to you know ask her as we go along. Also, if you have any game suggestions, you can already start popping them in here. <laughs> so yeah, we know which yeah. ones you're interested about. Because it'd be nice to compile some for the poll that we already know people are interested in. Game Makes life a little easier. For, for our, uh, our next dissection. Dissection yeah. in, in like three weeks from now. So three or four weeks from now. And we um, said we're kind of open to old and new games because we think it'd be fun if we went kind of for any different direction of what people are interested in. Right. And then All right, Shannon. Yeah. <laughs> we'll come back to that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's actually, Shannon, why don't you introduce yourself? So hi, I'm Shannon McDowell. I am a board game designer and puzzle designer and currently a research associate at Wilfrid Laurier University, which is in Brantford, Ontario, where I research escape rooms. I'm sure everybody wants to know how do you get a job, like an actual job in games. So we definitely have to talk about that one later. <laughs> so you also do pins. Let me, I, I like the pins. Let's talk about <laughs> yes, the pins. we do okay. have to admit before we start, we, let's talk about the pins because your pins are pretty awesome. And then we'll totally focus on gaming. Tell us all about the pins. Okay, so the pins are not like a big thing, but I do design enamel pins. And I did a Kickstarter a year and a half ago for a couple like board game enamel pins. And they're up on my Etsy store, which is when Shannon creates um, on Etsy. But that was almost more of a, can I run a Kickstarter? What is it like? Will it be successful? And it did fund. And I do. So I have a whole bunch of pins now that I give away at conventions because I have so many because some of them misprinted, which all that meant is that I got them in a different color. And then when I said, oh, can you replace these? They sent twice as many as I had actually ordered. So I have so many enamel pins now, <laughs> but I'm just like, problem. please take them, take them. But so yeah. yes, but actually, you know what? That actually brings up a really good point that I don't think we've ever talked about is purposely running a small Kickstarter just to see what it's like before you delve into anything like larger, like, yeah. you know, printing thousands and thousands of copies of a game. That's right. actually a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we've ever talked about it. Sorry, I did this because enamel pins require, you know, coordinating with the Chinese manufacturer and getting all that done. And so it was a really good small project but yeah i did that and i'm like i don't want to do a big one <laughs> not at all i am not cut out for self-publishing and now i know that yeah hey, the last one we did was for people syrup which was years ago yeah what was that seven years ago you guys did that i don't know 
whenever we did it. No, it's like five years Six? ago. Six? Five? Ago. I don't know. It was a while ago, and it was okay. no fun. Yeah, that's why we haven't ever done one again, and why we just do stuff on the cheap. <laughs> and why we don't look for funding. I mean, we're, we are considering when Jesse gets back to Canada, if Jesse gets back to Canada, we'll consider doing a Patreon then, because most likely Jess will be the one responsible for doing a lot of content creation for that. But today it's just Shannon time, so let's, let's, get, let's get with the Shannon questions. Yeah, all right. I'm the important let's, one. Come on. Yeah, send you still a spotlight here. All right. So why don't we talk about, well, actually, you know, let's jump into uh, your first signed game. Well, let's start there because I think it'll be great to start talking about puzzles around it. And then, you know, kind of love to hear a bit more about how you got into game design as we go. But I think it's a great one to promote because it's it's hopefully this year, right? But potentially. Hopefully. <laughs> hopefully it's this year. And yeah. so why don't you tell us about the Conundrum series? All right, so the Conundrum series, it's a series of escape room board games. It's a deck of cards, so similar to games like Unlock or Deckscape, but it's a different system. I actually designed it for the Game Crafter Escape Room Challenge. So there was a challenge hosted on the Game Crafter to make an escape room board game. Mm -hmm. And I came in second by like half a point, which I'm oh. a little <laughs> angry about. But it's a little okay. salty. Just a little just, salty. Just a little. Just a little. No, that's okay. But so I made this game and it was called Conundrum Candy Factory because it was an escape room game, very bright colors, family friendly, set in a candy factory, very interesting story, no, no murderers, no scary stuff, which is not what I wanted. I got the very first prototype printed and it came in like two days before Breakout Con in Toronto last year. So of course I bring my first prototype to Breakout Con. I'm very excited. I'm showing everyone. Daryl Andrews is there. He tricks me into pitching the game at him in the middle of watching she another tricked into pitching it. people i had okay so <laughs> i have never i had never really pitched a game i didn't know what i was doing and then he offered to sign it so that uh so now it's going to be published with maple games mm -hmm. as a series so the first three will be coming out soon hopefully and what's the difference between the three so people know so they're different levels of difficulty so uh, Candy Factory actually ended up being about medium level difficulty. And then there is Carnival Caper, which is the entry level easier game. And then there is Creative Academy, which is set at an art school. And that's the more difficult one. Okay. So, but they're all very colorful, whimsical themes with cute stories and nothing too serious. Just something for people to have fun with and solve puzzles and something a little different. All right. And how long did you end up working on Conundrum before you started kind of playing it like this? So Candy Factory, actually the very first prototype, like complete game, I finished all the puzzles in two weeks. Nice. So it was super fast. I had the idea for the system in my head. I just wrote all the puzzles, had the story. And it was done in two weeks. And I think I added, after starting to play test, I added two more puzzles and then did better art, which the art took me like three months because I'm terrible at art. But that's, yeah, it was, that one was really fast. The subsequent conundrums have taken a bit longer because it's much easier to do one where you can like, you'll be like, stick this puzzle in and this puzzle and this puzzle. And then you're like, okay, I can't repeat puzzles now. So what do I do that's different for this game? And what is my big standout puzzle that no one has ever seen before? And that kind of thing. You want to make it unique and fun and something new for 
the players. So we have it. We do have a question here. We have a question that uh, Zach Connolly, one of our uh, admin on the top, shop talk page, says many live action escape rooms tend to have a lot of red herring. Do you think that tabletop escape rooms incorporate fewer misdirects and focus more on the puzzles? All right. So number one, red herrings are garbage, and you should not have them in your puzzle game. <laughs> Can you scroll that across the bottom? Red herrings are garbage. I, I, I just keep it going. <laughs> Yeah, so I think the big problem with people, designers including red herrings, is that designers think they're trying to... <laughs> that's beautiful. Designers think they're trying to beat the players, but that's not it at all. Design Puzzle designers are playing to lose. You're designing your puzzles and your game so that the players will win every time. That's the goal. Not every player will win, but your goal is to make sure they win, and ideally with less than a minute left on the timer, if it's live action. So for tabletop games, you're not there watching players go through the puzzles. You can't see where they get stuck. There's no game master to say, oh, you're not on the right track. Maybe you want to go in this direction. So I think you have to include less red herrings. Like you shouldn't include them at all, but you have to be very deliberate with your art choices and your word choices to make sure that people don't get distracted by things that don't matter. I definitely found that with my first prototype because I did go through uh, three different stages of art and we still have to play test the final art for it. So every time you change the art, you have to play test with an entirely new set of players because adding a background could make the puzzle much harder or could make it much easier because maybe different pieces for the same puzzle have the same background. And so players know, oh, these all go together, but maybe there's something, maybe you, the wall is a brick wall with different shade bricks. And now players are looking at the background going, those colors mean something. It makes a pattern. And you're like, no, no, it doesn't. <laughs> so yeah, you have to be very aware of what people are seeing in your art and very, very purposeful. I agree. 100%. 100%. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot you can do uh, that you don't think you're influencing how people are playing your game, your puzzles. Yeah. And you really did. And the, the funny thing is when we're doing it, we're just making literal like stick figure art for the puzzles <laughs> uh, because we have an artist that does all the stuff. But then when he does it, we're like, uh, dude, you can't put that there. And, oh, you can't put that mm -hmm. there. And, oh, no, you can't use that color. And artistically, they look beautiful. But we know that somebody somewhere is going to say, oh, look, that looks like the number seven. And they're yeah. going to, you know, they're going to put a code in there. Oh, that random right. door in the background is blue. So that must mean that it's connected with this blue tile floor on another yeah. card. Yeah, no, I, I think it's really good to identify because people are actively trying to find those yeah. like clues and pieces. So anything could be a clue to them. So yeah, you'd have to be really careful. Yes. Right, right, right. Don't keep going. What are yeah. you saying? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm done. Let's. That's that's about it. Sure. So I think you actually identified kind of one of those, I guess, problems or challenges of escape room designing is the idea of having new people to put it in front of all the time. Oh, are there yeah. other things you've noticed that are kind of like, this is not like testing a game, like a tabletop game? Well, yeah, the having unique play testers is so ridiculous because you can only play it once, right? That's the whole problem with puzzle games. They are not replayable um, unless you have a game with replayable puzzles, but then it's probably not an escape room tabletop game. Right. Uh, so, and the problem is, is finding that range of people to play it because 
You don't want to just play it with um, escape room enthusiasts or other game designers because they're going to pull out game stuff, but they're not going to see the things that someone who has never, ever done an escape room before would see. And you never know, maybe your game is going to be the first time they have any experience with escape rooms. Right. So you mm. want to make sure that it's accessible. And it really, it depends on your market. You know, are you looking at... Are you targeting beginners? Are you targeting puzzle enthusiasts? Are you targeting people who have been to, you know, 10 to 20 escape rooms? Like where is where is your target market? Mm -hmm. But you still want to test with people from all the markets just to make sure that it's still fun. Even if, you know, my really, really easy game, um, I got to test it at Gen Con with Jordan and Mandy Goddard, who have done so many escape rooms, like they're pros, they do so many escape rooms. And they played it with a group of, I think, five or six, which is the upper limit for tabletop escape games, because there's only so much you can see on the table, right? And I was really worried because I'm going, oh, man, these people are great at escape rooms, and they're going to have so many people around the table. And they went through the game so fast, but they came away with it talking about how fun it was. And I'm like, really? Because that's the goal, right? And this was my really, really easy game. And like, yeah, they completed it super quickly, but they still had fun. And that's the goal. Eric Slauson has a question. He says, unlock, deckscape, exit, or random big box escape room. Which is the best for beginners to jump into? Have you played uh, a lot of those? I've played some of them, but I'm not all of them for sure. Uh, and I hadn't played any actually before I started developing Conundrum. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I was sort of familiar with what systems they used, but I hadn't played any. Now I've played a few from each. And I don't know. It really depends on what you're looking for, I think. Like Unlock is pretty cheap and accessible, but there's you have to play them in a certain order because some of them are definitely much better than others and some of them are more accessible to beginners than others. Right. All of them are like that. All of them have one particular one or two that you should start with just to learn how the system works. Um, and some of them have puzzles that are, you know, not as great or not as logical. So I don't know. I don't know that I could give a, a suggestion. I don't think I've played enough to recommend <coughs> one system over another. Mm -hmm. I, I think the the interesting thing about the Unlock series is the the app makes life easy in some ways, uh, which I liked about yeah. that. I do find it a little bit uh, simplistic because all the puzzles are card based, and there's you know you can do a mm -hmm. lot with cards, but there's still only so much you can do. Um, I find that the exit series breaks the fourth wall more than most yeah. in terms of puzzles that oh I wasn't I wasn't expecting to have to use the you know the UPC code uh, yeah. on that to do anything because I'm immersed in the story and I mean that's a question that we'll have for you in a bit. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I find that both of those series are pretty okay. I've done the Spin Master one. It's okay. Mm -hmm. It has the that was device. the one with the components in it. That's like it's act, act the physical ones, or is that one like is that one like Mattel or something? That that's the Mattel one. That's the Weirwolf okay. one. The the Spin Master one is the one that actually has this this computery thing almost that you slot things into. To, oh, that's to, the Escape the Room. Yeah, yeah, that's one. Good. yeah, yeah. And it's okay. They're okay. Mm -hmm. Um, I find for me. Personally, um, 
I like the um, the ones that Tanya was involved in. <laughs> what are they? Uh, what's the old what's yeah. the company she used to work for? For Mar uh, Marbles? No, not Marbles. Before that. Um, uh, I, <laughs> Sorry. I, I, I can't remember the brand. But anyways, they had the best stories. And I guess we'll move into that right now. Mm -hmm. Is um, What's your feeling, Shannon, on the importance of narrative in escape games? Is are the puzzles more important? Are the narratives more important? Is it some magical <laughs> ratio of, of both of those things? What do you think? It'll be different for everyone. For me personally, when I'm playing an escape room, I I like puzzles. Like mm. the narrative part is really cool, and I like to have a purpose for why I'm doing something. But I'm really into the puzzles. I like puzzles that make me feel clever. I like puzzles that let me do things that I wouldn't normally do. Um, I, I like the stories too, though. A good story can make up for, you know, a lack of puzzles. So I don't know. I don't know that I have a good answer for that. Um, I'm very much a puzzle person, though. And it's funny working with Scott Nicholson, who is very, very much a story person and very much into narrative. And we are exact opposites. We'll be working on a puzzle and he's like, here's the story. And I'm like, no, <laughs> let's do the puzzle this way. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's an interesting question. I think everyone will have a different answer for that. Um, and it is shockingly hard to include a really good complex narrative in a puzzle game. Um, that's what I found doing Conundrum is you can get a decent amount of clues in there that lead towards what the narrative is and gives you some background, but you basically have to tell players what the story is. You have to lead them to it mm. um, because there's when you're in a, a live space, people are walking around and they're seeing, oh, there's this painting on the wall and there's this document on the desk and whether that's part of uh, a puzzle or not, they can be immersed in the narrative. But in a, a tabletop game, you can't really have all those extra things because then it comes back to red herrings. People right. will get distracted. Kate Finch feels bad for red herrings. She wonders what they <laughs> to deserve such a bad reputation. And Dave Tome asks, um, he was talking about- time I, I was going to say, but this would be a good one to connect to what we were just uh, talking yeah, about. How, how do you avoid players going down wrong paths, like overthinking use of components in unintended ways that lead to misinformation? Are there any tips and tricks that you have, Shannon, to help players or help designers design around that? So for me, how I do it in my games is make sure that all the clues are connected to what the lock is. So my game has two types of cards. It has clue cards and it has lock cards. So you use clue cards to solve a lock card. And you should always know what clue cards go with what lock cards just by the art and by clues in the cards. So that's what I try and do. And then, of course, there's hints. Um, my game is there's no penalty for taking hints. There's no penalties for wrong answers unless you're scoring yourself. You, there's an optional scoring system. So it's not like unlock where you get penalties for hints or wrong answers or anything like that. Uh, so the idea there is that if you check a hint, the very first hint for every clue is these clues solve this lock. Mm -hmm. So you always know, maybe you haven't gotten all the clues yet. Maybe you were looking at a clue that wasn't part of that particular puzzle. And so I encourage players in the rules and when I introduce the game during playtesting, to check hints. It's not a bad thing in this game. So, right. and that, oh, and so that is one thing that's very different about your system than most um, <laughs> is how you give hints and, and 
how you don't care about people using yeah. And yeah. why is that? Because the target market for my game is families. I wanted to create a family-friendly, light game that people could play with their kids. And so kids like under the age of 10 probably couldn't solve this on their own, but it's a great game for parents to help. And right. man, one of my very first play tests, I had a four-year-old like taking a glance at the table and solving puzzles that the adults who were play testing had no clue what to do with. <laughs> so you don't underestimate children. <laughs> they know what they're looking at, even if they don't know. And and that same child has come back every time I have seen him and said, do you have more puzzles? Can I do your game? <laughs> and I'm going like, you're too, you can't read, you know, you can't read it to you. <laughs> <laughs> but he's so enthusiastic about it because he felt really smart solving things that the adults couldn't. So right. my idea was to create a system that did not penalize you. There's no negative points. And even if you're scoring, the point system counts up and the lower score is a better score, uh, just so that there's no negativity associated with it. People can feel free to explore and learn and not feel intimidated that they're doing badly at puzzles. So because a lot of people are intimidated, they're like, oh, I'm, I'm not good at puzzles. Well, you are good at puzzles. You've just maybe not tried them. So yeah, I want to just create something more accessible. That is something that Scott and I talk about a lot, Scott Nicholson, um, about, uh, you know, reading the room or reading the table uh, for their level of puzzle skill. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's easier at a escape room place where you have, you know, a guide or a, a host that can say, hey, so what kind of puzzles do you like? And all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. that guides you towards one of the rooms that might suit you. But when you have a physical product and they say, oh, we're playing this game, how do we best get that type of information across to the purchaser that this is the one you want, not that one or this other one? What do you think? How can we inform them better? I, I think it's a lot of the ways that normal tabletop games inform the market. So if you've got a heavy, serious 4X game, you, well, unless you're root, you don't put super cartoony, cute art on it uh, because you're aiming at a specific target market. And if you've got really cute, bright, colorful art, the idea is, okay, maybe this is a lighter game that's more family friendly. So I think it's a lot of that. And it's a lot of how you market it. You know, is this marketed as, a, a, you know, you're trapped in a cabin and the murderer is coming back and you have to escape. Okay, well, that's not for families or kids, probably, right? Yep. You can tell by the theme, you can tell by the art, um, age range, you know, if something requires reading, then it's, or heavy reading, you know, the graphics on the back of the box, mm -hmm. something that looks very, very complex and has a lot of notes and words and codes that you're looking at on the back of the box, someone who's not into complex puzzling will be like, yeah, maybe scared. That's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's not for me, I don't think. But if, okay. it, if it looks simpler and it's just pictures that you're looking at and finding things in, well, maybe that's a bit more accessible to people who are just getting started. This is neat. So Zach Conley said, Escape Room, the game, also had a VR edition. It was okay, but I wanted more out of the VR integration. So Chronicles of Crime! <laughs> 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 Just play Chronicles of Crime. Uh, but less less about um, the VR part, but <coughs> more about like um, 
excuse me, sorry, maybe uh, a gimmick or your kind of capstone puzzle? Do you try to do that kind of thing in the games you're designing? Is there is there always, you know, one big thing that you, it's your showpiece? What do you think? Is that a good thing to have? Oh, definitely. You've got to do something new in every game. Otherwise, it gets repetitive and people don't want to do the same puzzles over and over again. You know, if you did that, just go buy a Sudoku book. Right. Um, you <laughs> don't know? put those in escape rooms, by the way. No, 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 don't. That was, yeah, I shouldn't have even brought that up, man. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I always try to have at least one or two puzzles that are different that I've never seen before. And it's the nice thing about working with cards, like you said earlier, that cards could be, you know, you can't be as creative with them. Well, you're just not looking hard enough if you don't think you can be creative with cards. Yeah, I mean, you can, but I'm saying <laughs> there, there are there are certain things you can't do with them that escape does because it has yeah. all the rest, like literally all the rest well, of the box. Yeah. It's the yeah. difference between like creating a, an atmosphere through image or creating an atmosphere literally. And I yeah. think that's what the, there's a translation issue in, in its own way. And then, yeah, but if you're getting creative enough, then if you have a really fun feel to the whole thing, as you said, the art kind of induces, you know, your expectation to begin with, that's going to be incredibly important because it can't just be things that are stuck up on walls. Yeah, definitely. And tabletop escape games will never compare to a real live action escape game just because true immersion yeah right you can't have that you're never going to be fully immersed in a tabletop escape game but there are things you can do when your products are just paper and cards that you couldn't do in a live action game um, even as far as puzzles where things have to be in a certain order that's mm -hmm. really really bad in a live action escape because players can pick those things up and move them and then how do you know what the original order was whereas if they're in a picture on a card well you can't change that order right and maybe you do something so that players have to figure out what the order is but because they're on cards you can't actually move them you look at the backgrounds mm -hmm. and that tells you what order they should be mm -hmm. so there's some interesting things you can do that are slightly different than what you could do in a live action room oh that's that it's a really good point right is that the distinctive difference and as you were saying before uh, for people who like kind of just jumped in now is that it's really hard to kind of uh, compare the two or say which ones are going to be better because they're going to get a very different experience from mm -hmm. kind of everything. Um, Jamie Jones said, this is going to be kind of neat. This might be your next project. It would be <laughs> interesting perhaps if there could be a puzzle game that had an easier or harder route through it, through it with the same story uh, where it kind of weaved or maybe had like decision points or things. That'd be interesting. Choose your adventure puzzles. <laughs> Yeah. That would be complex. That would be really hard. It's <laughs> <But> fun. <laughs> like, I can see that as a computer game. I have no idea how you'd implement that with paper and cardboard, but it would be fun to try. Yeah. And then, oh, Zach asked, how does one exactly promote an escape room game? It's not like you can have reviews, show how to play it without spoilers. Mm. Spoilers, yeah. So the thing is, you can have demos. <laughs> So I created, for Maple Games, I created a conundrum demo game. And it is 10 cards, uh, four puzzles, and it is completely 
self-sufficient. So you can put it down in front of a group and they can play through it in about 15 minutes. And you say, if you want more of that. Exactly. And so it just gives an idea of the types of puzzles that you'll see and how things work and what the art looks like and what the story is like. And it, the demo that I made is an introduction to the world of Conundrum. So Conundrum is a town where people are obsessed with puzzles. <laughs> so it's kind of like uh, Eureka, if you ever watched the right, TV yes, show. Yes, yes. So this is Conundrum is you have just moved to the city and you find a package on your doorstep welcoming you to the town. So what's in it? How do you get in? You have to solve puzzles. That's fun. I see, I see. Welcome to conundrum exactly there you go cool yeah. um this is funny uh jamie jones said chronicles of crime was okay and i'm glad i tried it just the first mission but i really have no interest to play it again which is very contrary to myself i, I, love I the thought game. it was fun no i would say it's not an escape room but because yeah. you are using deductive reasoning and you're trying to piece together information it has that very specific kind of puzzle going on, but it's more of a crime solving yeah. thing. And then <laughs> Zach said the same thing, you know, Chronicles isn't really an escape room. It's more like Carmen San Diego. <laughs> I say that because I, I'm laughing at uh, Erica with that one. I'm, I'm, I'm for fun creating like a kid's version of escape room that is Carmen San Diego. Because yeah. hey, it's a great story delivery method and I can and, send and, people all over the world stealing crazy yeah. funny things. And the funny thing is, Erica, <laughs> Have you seen the show on Netflix? Yeah, it's really good. Like the reboot, she's you didn't like it? I did. Like I really wanted to. Oh my god, I actually not, really wanted to. I was sitting there going like, what is this? Like there's so much a disconnect from what Carmen San Diego is that it may as well not even had the name. You could have called that something totally different and I would have sure. been like, yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah, you yeah, yeah. with Carmen San Diego? Nuh-uh. Yeah, like on any level. Like yeah. any level. She has too a red much, coat, guys. Too, too much in your head cannon there. Too much in your no, head. not even headcanon. I'm like, at the very least, it's like, what is what is she stealing? Where am I going? I, I don't just call it something else. Call it whatever cartoon you want to call it. Give it like call it black sheep. That would have been fine. <laughs> and I'd be like, you know what? This is a really interesting spy show. No, it's not, it's not about a criminal who's going around <laughs> the world or time or anything. Sorry, okay. tangent. Okay, uh, Brad Bachelor asks, um, do you find it's better to err on the side of too easy or too hard for puzzles? What mistakes make people the least upset? Oh, that's a good question. That's a really good question. Too easy, always. It, no matter how easy you think your puzzle is, your kids are dancing in the back. Always harder. They're actually kicking each other, I'm sure. Oh, I thought they were trying to dance. They might be. Sorry for interrupting. His kids were <laughs> dancing behind you. Yeah. There, my wife just. Oh, so I think this is a really good connection to kind of what we've been talking about because mm -hmm. there are so many different ways you can go with an escape room. And even as you said, things can get just too complicated or mm -hmm. too weird. How do you map out? Like, how do you how do you figure out how your puzzles are going to work and where things are going to come up? And yeah. yeah, so I have a I don't know if this is a weird process or not, but I have a process for my escape room design. Ooh, sure. So, yeah, so I start with the story. What's the story that I'm working with? You know, who are the characters? Um, what's going on? What is the result that I want people to find out at the end of the game? Like, what is the overall climax of the story? How does it all work? And then I figure out 
what is the very last lock lock that they're opening. So my games aren't necessarily escape room games. So sometimes you're, you have to open a final door. Sometimes you have to figure out a piece of information, whatever it is, what's the final thing that they are um, figuring out and then work backwards from there. So I create, I brainstorm, what's the environment? What would you find there? What types of things would you do in that environment? And then I create puzzles around all of that. Um, and then once I have the puzzles, I work backwards from the answers. Because a lot of times it's one puzzle leads to another clue that helps you solve another puzzle. And then maybe you have a clue from over here, um, you're unlocking doors. And I map it out on a piece of paper where it's basically like almost like what a tech tree would look like cool. uh, so that you've got these are clues and clues are diamonds on my puzzle map and locks are circles and they match the clues to the locks match colors so i end up with this really cool kind of spider web effect of branching trees um, that lead from one to the other. And that helps me figure out is a clue for this lock locked behind a door that you can't get unless you unlock that door um, and make sure everything flows properly. So I actually- <laughs> That sounds like that's a bad thing. Don't do that. It is bad. Don't do that. So, and I did do that once accidentally where I was like, oh, this clue will open this door, but the clue, other clue to open that door is behind that door. And that's- Whoops. Not <laughs> right, so they would have they never got it. You could have never gotten it. Exactly. So it helps me, you know, lay all that out and figure it out. I actually got the idea from there's a YouTube series. I can't remember what it's called, but he did a whole bunch of kind of walkthroughs and breakdowns of the dungeons in all the, all the Legend of Zelda games. Oh, and he maps out the dungeons. And so here's where you find the key that you can unlock this door. And I totally stole his format of mapping out the dungeons for my own puzzle maps because it was fantastic. It, it, actually, if you get a chance, it'd be nice to to show people maybe visually what that looks like since I don't think it's the easiest thing to picture unless you've seen something like it. It isn't. I don't... Uh... Maybe you can share it for our pro tip for tomorrow yeah, or something like that. Right. Just to see I... kind of like a, what a branching what it could look like. Yeah, because I have, I have a piece, I have a thread pinned on my Twitter that is my like top tips for creating an escape room tabletop game cool and one of the tips is how is creating a puzzle map and i have a little like picture that's part of one of my puzzle maps mm -hmm. so we will Banner, share that tomorrow is now fine now so this is this is why we fix that just so you can see <laughs> so i use uh lucid chart to mm -hmm. chart through things. Um, this isn't exactly a, an escape room thing. This is more of a, a choose your own adventure style thing. But the idea being, because you can read it and see what it's not. It's not about puzzles. Uh, but the idea that I graph everything out as well when I'm making puzzles so that everything has a place. Uh, and that is that is kind of how we do this stuff. Good, so we'll get rid of that. Boom, and we come <laughs> back. And here we are. And the, hopefully everything is still working. Um, cool, cool, cool. Um, Zach asks a question let's see he said can you incorporate a nine piece version of perfection oh no i we are not doing that <laughs> like like pop perfection yeah yeah, yeah. Like, i don't think that's asked in good faith because why would you want to he's, he's totally not this is a running joke 
this is a running joke that is not we do not have to value it give it any more airtime here we go um let's see here oh matt paquette uh who is a, an amazing graphic designer who often writes stuff on our page says or uh, asks do you see the lack of replayability of scenarios an issue take time stories for issue for instance i can't see playing the same stories over again and in that case the base game represents the largest initial outlay of cash the supplemental stories are cheaper is this a key to keeping the brand of the game relevant or is it just easier slash better to create new one-off games every time hmm. well it really depends on what your goal is and how you're looking at it like as far as value for a board game you know one-off games that you can't replay everyone complains that oh well they don't hold their value because you play it once and then you give it away or you sell it but if you compare it to escape rooms like live action games where you're probably paying 25 to 30 dollars or more a person for an hour then it's pretty decent value to pay approximately that much to have maybe up to six people play it and i don't know that it's necessarily a business model so much that if you're playing a game that includes puzzles you can only solve the puzzles once so if you want to have that kind of experience with really good, unique puzzles, then you can only play it once. You know, there are games that have replayable styles of puzzles, but they're usually not fantastic puzzles because, yeah. you know, there's only so much you can do if you're trying to have infinite variety of puzzles. And so like a game like Enigma, have you played Enigma? No, I haven't. Uh, Enigma is a game that I think Zuck from Spiel did. Uh, and I think it was them. I don't remember. Anyways, it's basically a puzzle race where uh, you're trying to, you're doing something ostensibly on a, on a board of tiles, which is not important. Uh, but the puzzles are these just kind of quick, fun little puzzles that you are trying to race against everybody else to do. So they actually have to be fast and simple and disposable because you want them done and you want lots of people to do them and you want them to be easy to, to do. So it's a different kettle of red herring, right? <laughs> it's a different kettle Every of time fish. I hear red herring, I just think of the Clue movie. That's all <laughs> I think about. Um, Sorry, I was going to say, you know, I've had this discussion with someone the other day about the escape room, uh, escape room in a box kind of idea and the, the cost of them, because most of them are like, let's say 20 bucks. Mm -hmm. It's like, mm -hmm. if you went to a movie, you've already spent more than that for one person. Yeah. Right? Like, and that's a disposable thing. Legacy games are even more expensive than disposable. Like, I don't know why we're maybe that upset about like 15 bucks <laughs> on a game that we could spend a couple hours playing and enjoy with multiple people. Yeah. yeah, I think it's just perspective is board gamers are looking at it as I can play 20 bucks on a filler game and play it 100 times and get hundreds of hours of fun out of it. Whereas an escape room game, I can only play for an hour for 20 bucks. But and different experience, though, like, exactly. is it all about entertainment, really? And like, we're always looking for new types of entertainment. Yeah. And that's that's what I think is you don't necessarily look at it as a board game, look at it as, you know, a tabletop escape room, which is yeah. what it is, yeah. or a tabletop puzzle game. You know, you can only, if you buy a book of puzzles, you can only do that once. Yeah, that's true. And uh, that's a good question about number of people playing a game at once. Uh, I've never had a good experience with more than maybe three or four people. Uh, yeah. And that's a maybe. Like, I would rather just do it with two. I think that's not. ideal for most people as well, just because the components can only be so big. And if you can only have a max of two or three people working on a single puzzle, if you're dealing with cards right you know um unless the graphics are huge so 
yeah, I like my games can be played up to six and six people have played them and enjoyed them. But I've always felt that there was always at least one person who felt like they didn't really do anything. And you don't want that experience, right? However, if you've got maybe two adults playing with three or four kids, then yeah, definitely six people could play because you're letting the kids do most of the work with the adults just helping. So Right, right, right. Yeah. We we have uh, the one that we were working on. Um, it has characters in it. So it's it's much more story driven than most. And so we since you guys have seen it, we broke out all the characters into separate books. So every player will you have a book. You can't mix them up. <laughs> Well, yeah. <laughs> no, but that, but also players will will be that person, or they will read when that person is supposed to read. So it gives people something to do. Uh, I think we talked about that when we were playing that they were separate books, because then you could be like pretend to be the character a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's sort of cool. Um, of course, that that project is no longer, so we'll see what happens with it. Aww. I know. Yeah, that was such a neat idea. I love, yeah. I love the idea. You have to use that, like the the delivery system, yeah. which I'm not going to talk about. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, anyway. I don't care what the game is. Yeah. I think and that's, that's the thing is that we want to, you know, we just enjoyed making it. And so the system that we're using, I think you're right. It has uh, a lot, a lot to, to go for. Um, so yeah. We have, I, I, we have two yeah. questions from Jesse we can add. Oh uh, yeah. We haven't done yet. Cause Jesse sent a couple questions to ask. Uh, I'll say the last one cause it's kind of similar to what we do at the end, which is usually when we ask you like a little advice or tips or tricks kind of thing. But I think this is a good one cause I think everybody kind of comes from somewhere. And so what kind of best puzzles and escape rooms have you experienced or you thought were inspiring? All right. So for live action escape rooms, not to spoil anything, but I like puzzles where you can interact with stuff and do something that maybe you've wanted to do in real life. And the puzzle now and the, the game now says you can go do this it'll get you further in the game and you get to do cool things like random example, but like swing across a canyon, like Indiana Jones, you know, like neat, it's like physical things. somehow. Yes. So, or just something different, interacting with things in a way that you wouldn't normally, those are my favorite styles. And people sometimes are really creative and how they implement that. Um, for paper puzzles, I'm a huge puzzle hunt fan. So I really like the puzzles that have multiple levels. So you figure out what the first step is, and that gives you a clue phrase that you then have to implement the next step. And then that gives you a final answer. So like multiple step puzzles, uh, you don't find those in escape rooms. They're way too difficult to try and do under time pressure. And I wouldn't want to, right. but I really like those. I'm trying to get better at designing them but i'm not very good yet yeah there, there's a there's an art to those that yes uh, because they're so they're so layered it, it's it's funny that that's actually a really good question you know how do you make a puzzle that is difficult but yet easy enough to do do you know what i mean like where's that yeah. fine line of giving too much hand holding and too many clues from all the rest of the environmental things that are in there in the card or on the on the board or whatever uh and making it impossible to do i honestly don't think there's a way to make a puzzle too easy unless you specifically spell out the instructions of what you have to do to solve it um i i i really don't think there is the easiest puzzles that i thought i've had in my games people have stared at for 10 minutes and not known how to solve them. And I'm like, this is 
so obvious, right? but it's not, you know, when someone no, thinks slightly differently than you. And yet sometimes actually the puzzles that I think are my more complex puzzles, people will still take maybe five or 10 minutes to solve them, but they're making progress and they can see it. You need to signpost every step along the way if it's a multi-step uh, puzzle. Right. So, you know, they'll complete the first step. They'll say, oh, this is important. And I know it's important because of this. And then they implement that, whatever it is. And they'll say, oh, I'm on the right track because this leads to this, yeah. which is similar to the lock. And then they complete the step and they're like, wow, that was such a difficult puzzle because it had multiple steps and I feel so smart having solved it. So you just have to make sure that people know they're on the right track, that you yeah. have confirmation along the way that yeah, they're doing crumbs. the right thing yes and confirmation the uh and that's that's all locks really are in an escape room is a confirmation that you were on the right trail right so yeah exactly. i think having little itty bitty you, ones you need affirmation of like yeah no you're you're doing the right thing like keep going yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yes. Uh, Zach, Zach is asking, this is a neat question. Has this cool. ever been an escape room with a traitor mechanism? He says, I wish Jesse could see this question. <laughs> He's around here somewhere. I'm sure there has been, not that I have played. Um, there, are, there are definitely cool. escape rooms with teams where yeah. you're on different teams. And there definitely are escape rooms where you're given individual goals I don't know that those are necessarily escape rooms though. There's some uh, bigger games, especially ones I've heard of in Europe that I have definitely not done, where <laughs> you have your own specific goals and tasks that you have to accomplish over the course oh, of the neat. game. And- um, But are they puzzle games or? Yep, yeah, okay. like they have puzzles involved to right. complete it. I also feel like this is a thing that Scott is really into. He's very into making choices in games and yeah. what, choice you make gives you a different ending or gives you a different path to go down yeah. so you're making choices that impact your future game yes yeah, scott's yeah, also you, very you, much into larping and things like that too, yeah. so. <laughs> yes, well it exactly. sounds like a great example of like you don't want someone necessarily to be a saboteur because that could actually derail everything yes. you want them to have an objective that just lines up enough that you're not sure who they are like that hidden identity kind of thing like almost like a bang idea where you want like that renegade who's like you know but yeah we want status quo all the way but then oh look you let me minute. win yeah. Because yeah. you you need to, I, I think that'd be a really cool idea to be suspicious. You know, no one's actually going to throw off the puzzle per se, but you but there could be more than one puzzle you're trying to do and they might be trying to direct you towards one. Like maybe there actually is uh, almost like red herring puzzles instead. And in yeah. which case you could do that puzzle, but you're actually helping that person and you have to try to figure yeah. that out. And there are like, some escape rooms that incorporate actors. Um, yeah. And sometimes the actors are there to help you. And sometimes the actors are not there to help you. Sometimes <laughs> the actors are there to sabotage you. So, you know, that's maybe a way that you can control the experience without having to make a player take on that role. Because I know a lot of people would be pretty uncomfortable having to act out something contrary to the group that they're with. Right. So. Here's a question again. Brad Bachelor asks, lots of escape rooms have physical elements like searching and moving stuff. Are there any board game versions that have physical elements? Sure. Yep. I've, I've noticed they're mostly for kids. I'll have to say there is a quite a large market growing right now that I don't know if people are really seeing them because they end up in like weird places, like more like toy stores and bookstores, right? Mm -hmm. Not necessarily where you'd go get, you know, it's not like a hobby thing, but there's a lot of kind of like these escape room in a boxes for kids now where it has these little locks and boxes and oh, like, yeah. 
yeah. things like that. Like I actually got one for my son's birthday for his kid like to play with his friends. And it has these three little keys and these different mechanisms where you have to use the key in it. And it's sort of like they tried to kind of pick a few different lock elements, shrink them down and put them all in one box and be like, here you go. Yeah, there's a, if you're looking for one for adults, the uh, Mattel game, The Werewolf Experiment, um, that one is very physical. It has a lot of physical elements. It has real locks. Um, mm -hmm. It's also, it was one of the first tabletop games, but then they had so many issues getting it manufactured after the Kickstarter, all the locks were not working properly and everything that uh, they ended up getting that's what I bought my son. <laughs> Sorry, son, just put up yep. a picture. Yep, that's a that's a cute but one. It's not. It's got like a little bomb <laughs> you lock yourself. On. Yeah, it's meant for like six year olds. That's why I yeah. bought it. Um, but you know, my son actually went to his first because uh, he just turned seven. He um, he went to his first escape room party uh, in the last few months, and he thought it was really cool. That's yeah. Nice. And there's there's a lot of those. Scott, my, one of the guys I do design with here in London, he his mother bought his kids, this giant operation escape room thing that had like seven different things in there. Uh, and he, he said, yeah, the kids just played with them for like a little while and then they got bored because there's no story holding them together. Mm -hmm. And so I, I do think story matters, right? So yeah, definitely. <clears throat> um, what else was I going to say? There was something else I wanted to talk about with you, Shannon. I can't remember. Did Jesse have another question? There was another question, wasn't there? Well, there's the designing like puzzles, tips and tricks sort of thing. But I figure that could be our end note, which we're coming up on anyway, to be oh, fair. Yeah, it's only like five more minutes. So kind of like right there. So go ahead. All right. So we always like to end off with uh, getting our guests to give advice in some way, especially in what they're good at. So since you are good at puzzles, <laughs> I guess if you were going to leave someone with a tip, uh, what would it be or trick for like designing puzzles? Keep it easy. <laughs> I probably said that multiple times over the last hour, but it doesn't matter how easy you think it is, make it easier. Um, unless you're creating for a puzzle hunt, in which case make it as hard as you want. Uh, <laughs> totally different audience. They'll still, they'll still solve it. Oh yeah, definitely. But they'll it's, complain if it's not good. Right. That's true. That's totally true. Yeah. So um, make it easy. And then I have um, all my escape room board game tips also on my Twitter. So it's my pinned tweet. Um, what is your Twitter address? So tell us the, yeah, tell oh, us your yeah. Twitter. <laughs> it's Shannon Creates. At Shannon Creates? At Shannon Creates. At Shannon right. Creates. That's the Twitter handle. So go follow Shannon. She talks a lot about um, escape rooms and board yeah, games. games. And, and, you know, crafting and enamel yeah. pins and things like that so not so much about enamel pins. i know i know a lot of board it's a, games a lot it's of a good time pins. it's a good time <laughs> speaking of enamel pins hey erica what do you think should we get some uh maple syrup ones made we should have people like submit like a design and pick stuff that'd be fun yeah i don't i don't know who can make those pins oh though. I don't, I don't know. the only they need to be is a tiny little can of maple syrup but it says maple syrup on it <laughs> I mean, I like the plate, but there's something really funny about the idea of the maple syrup can. Yeah. <laughs> Any last minute questions from our audience? You're all right there. So okay. if you have one, you know, uh, let us know. What we'll also do is we'll uh, we'll link up uh, Shannon's tips. We can link it up onto the Facebook page as well. So people know where to, to get that. Um, and then how about this? Well, if there's no other 
questions. Are there any cons that you're planning on being at this year? Ooh, okay, so I will be at Breakout Con in Toronto in March. I will be at April. Nothing in April. Well, the Escape Room World Championship is in April. I'll be there. Um, I will we'll have be- to talk about that <laughs> when you get yeah, back. That's, I think that's going to be crazy. And I'm actually looking forward to I'm booking escape rooms in London. So I'm very, very excited about that. London, um, England. London, England. Yes. Not London, where I live. The other very, okay. Side the real note, ones. <laughs> the BBC, the creators of BBC Sherlock have an escape room that's based on Sherlock. Well, it's then a, you'll have to go. It was a 90 minute escape room and it uses the sets. It has apparently video and stuff from the actors in the show. And it was like written by the writers. I am very, very excited to do it. It is a crazy expensive escape room, but I am doing it. It's going to be amazing. Probably totally worthwhile. Helena yeah. Capella is asking if you're going to Origins. <laughs> yeah, she no, should she know. Said, I'm going to be said, at her booth. <laughs> she said breakout. Yeah, she's oh, yeah. going to breakout. Helene, you missed it. Yes, yeah, she's going to Origins because you're bringing her. <laughs> I was going to Origins. I probably will be going to Gen Con. I'm not sure yet. Um, I will be at Fan Expo Toronto in September or August this year. What about Anime North? Are you going to be at Anime North? I will North? be at Anime North. <laughs> but, you'll, but you'll be in your sister's booth. Mostly. Yeah, I'll well, be at a booth. So- Shannon's sister makes awesome products and that's why you need to go check them out. Yes. Yeah. This is fun. Oh, I just because we have a couple minutes left, I'm going to stick this up here and we can see what we can do this in this in future. I just want to see what what people see. Um, oh, is it like one of those first glances pictures? No. I don't see anything, Seth. <laughs> what are you doing to us? Is this part of the joke? Is this a red herring? No. It's the same question that I asked yesterday on, on the Meeple Syrup page, but um i just wanted to see because we can oh, your do... story versus puzzle yeah but how do we how do we show this oh look we can oh, the broadcast. I, I saw that and i didn't comment because i have a lot to say about that topic right <laughs> but that's okay that's that's what it's there for but see i can we can set up a whole thing and that people can somehow i don't know what they see they can vote on this so um if people see, can you see this out there in in meeple syrup land we don't see it i don't know if you see it <laughs> I, I i only see the the question but i don't know how people are able to poll on it how was it a this? poll yeah 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 it's at a poll and i just added this poll so there's this poll that's here um and and cool. you might see it but oh, there's somebody voted. See? Okay, it's active. Guys, there's an active poll and just put up. Helena wants an option for both. Because, Helena. <laughs> I want an option for both as well. Oh, there we go. Oh, look. No, and see, Shannon, the whole idea was make it divisive. Yeah. <laughs> was, was it, make you pick one. I don't want you to say Everyone will pick both. I want you to pick one. Exactly, right? So I want you to make a decision. Um. Oh, look. Oh, some people are changing things. So I, ju- I just wanted to see how this poll thing works. So thank you for indulging me, uh, everybody, on that. Um, I love Zach already said he voted wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Vote thing again. That, okay. Uh, oh, and look. I, I see I can... I think I can take this poll down and then I can end it. I can end the voting on it. I don't know. Oh, oh no, I'm making a new poll. I don't want to make a new poll. I want to How about you do down. this on your own time later? No. <laughs> You're doing this on Shannon's time. <laughs> um, so uh, one thing that uh, one thing that we can do uh, later is um, I'd like to talk a little bit about, um, about puzzle stuff later, but we can do that at another time. Uh, I was just thinking for a future thing. Sorry, my brain went somewhere else where it shouldn't have gone after she comes back from the champions and we can actually talk about it yeah for sure because yeah i'll actually be able to to then we can get the story the inside scoop guys 
Yeah, get the inside scoop. So when is that, by the way, uh, for people who are interested in the World Championship? It's like the Red Bull Red Bull World... Escape Room World Championship. Yes. So there will be teams from 23 different countries competing um, in London, England, and uh, it is in April. So okay. April, I don't know, the second week in April? I'm not yeah, sure exactly. I think, I think what happens is Scott goes there and then he'll meet us I at the gathering or something. Yeah, I will be there as well. So we are going to, I don't know yeah. what we're, I'm not, I don't know what I'm going to do while and I'm are there. You, are you going to do, are you going to be, gonna talk about it. But are you going to be doing research while you're there? Yeah. On the, I, yeah. Hopefully cool. we'll be doing some research while I'm there and also assisting with the games. Excellente. All right. So um, we know where to reach Shannon. We've got all that kind of stuff going on. If you want to get a hold of myself or Erica, you can reach us on the Meeple Syrup Show page. If you're not yet on the Shop Talk group, go there. That's where we get a lot of constant conversation as opposed to the page, which is more just about kind of, you know, the daily the daily stuff here at the show. Um, coming up soon, what are we having coming up soon, uh, Erica, in terms of guests? We've got somebody booked for next week, don't we? I think John is booked I, for next week. John yeah. Berger. Um John is a oh that's is that next week already? Wow. I think so. Okay. Um oh uh or is it the week after? It's the week after because Jeff Oh it's the week after, right? Because right. we're doing our design one next week. So right. Yes, we are doing our genre design next week. We've got a guest the following week that is in industry. And then we're letting our lovely audience vote us what kind of game we want to do for our next dissection. Yes, and we won't do that here. We'll do that on the- Sen's going to create page. a poll. I, I suck at creating polls. <laughs> I don't know how to create polls, apparently. So no, we'll, we'll do that later. Uh, but on that note, we'll say good night. Good night. Thank you so much, Shannon, for coming on the show. It was super informative. And oh, hopefully more asking. people get to play your puzzle games when they come out um, later on, hopefully this year, from Maple mm. Games. Do you know if it's planned to go to Kickstarter or is it just going to be made? I don't think so. Oh, interesting. But I'm not sure. Okay, cool. All right, so everyone look out for the Conundrum series by Shannon McDowell coming straight to you from, I don't know, yeah, Ontario. <laughs> <laughs> and Maple Games, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Okay, great. Erica, any last words? I think that's it. All right, Shannon, see you later. Thanks so much. Bye, guys. Good night. Thanks so much for listening to the Meeple Serum Show. If you'd like to support us on all of our projects, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com backslash Meeple Syrup. Hope to see you next week.